Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Wellness with Liz Earle. And today I am truly delighted to have sitting beside me a world-class medic, a breast cancer surgeon who has been top of his tree for more years than many of us have even been alive. Professor Michael Baum qualified as a doctor in 1960, a very clever and skilled surgeon. He went on to hold chairs of surgery at King's College and University College London, as well as later working as a professor of surgery at the world-renowned Royal Marsden Hospital and the Institute of Cancer Research. He studied his specialist subject, breast cancer, for the last 50 years, and there surely can be few in the world who know as much on this as he. Professor Baum, welcome. Thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> I wish my mother was being alive oh. to hear that. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say it is a rare privilege to have the chance to chat to such a world-renowned expert. And so we are going to make the most of this opportunity. We're going to be a bit greedy, actually, listeners, because we are recording two podcasts. So the first is going to be looking at breast cancer as it's such a vast and complex topic, what it is, how it develops, how to treat it. And then the second podcast is going to focus on other breast health issues such as breast pain, cysts and the like, as well as breast cancer screening, ways to improve healthcare and the quality of life for midlife women overall. And that will include the role of HRT also. So you're going to have to listen to both episodes. So let's dive in at the beginning. Why breast cancer? Was that always something that interests you particularly? That's a good question. Um, when I... Uh, after I got my fellowship, FRCS, then I was ambitious to follow uh, a career in academic surgery. And so you had to choose a research subject. And at that time, I recognised, probably this was the most important thing that I did, I recognised that knew, no one knew anything about breast cancer. Everyone claimed they knew there was one answer, radical mastectomy, Catch it early, radical mastectomy, full stop. Right. And my research was on the natural history of breast cancer, what happens to breast cancer if you don't treat it. And I realised no one knows anything about this subject. They claim they know a lot about this subject, mm. but no one knows anything. And I thought, what a wonderful virgin field to plough. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I started, got really into it. But then... Sadly, um, 
After a few years, my mother was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, secondary breast cancer in the skeleton, and she had a terrible death um, in agony from bone metastases. Oh, and gosh. the treatments she had were as bad as the disease. The chemotherapy she had was made her lose her hair. She had beautiful long black hair, mm. which she prided herself on. She lost her hair. And then my reaction to that was one of anger. I was right. really, really angry, yeah. but I didn't know who to be angry with. And that kind of motivated me uh, in uh, to take this on more than just an intellectual exercise, but to realise that women who you love are suffering very, very badly. Mm. So it's a, an issue of going beyond wanting to get a, a PhD and MD and become a professor. And actually, my, I had a fire in my belly. This extraordinary personal fire within you, mm. you must have realised very early on just how extraordinarily complex yes. breast cancer is because you've got the basic anatomy of the breast, you've got the endocrine systems, the hormones, you've got all the other things that at play there. Yes. Was there one particular area that you thought, I'm going to focus on this particular section? Um, let me give you a broader uh, answer to that and then narrow it down. Mm -hmm. And um, I often like to explain it this way. I used to be external examiner in Belfast for the final degree in surgery. And as you go into Belfast, there was graffiti on a wall. Every time I saw the same graffiti, and it said, anyone who can explain the Irish situation doesn't understand it. <laughs> so so I realised <laughs> that sums up breast cancer. Everyone can explain it, but no one understands it. So, yes, the issue is it's an incredibly complex disease. And if you don't accept the complexity of it, and if you're looking for simple solutions for complex problems, you're wasting your time. Mm. So I think right from the beginning, I realised we're dealing with complexity. Mm -hmm. And if you're dealing with complexity then you go back, to, try and go back to the beginning. So, okay, let's forget about treatment and diagnosis. See if I can write a thesis on the natural history of breast cancer. Mm. What happens if you don't treat breast cancer? And um, I did a lot of research and I published and got my thesis through. And the conclusion was, we don't know the natural history of breast cancer. That is really fascinating. Well, we will come on and we'll talk about treatment and non-treatment yeah. and the pros and cons of both. But let's just take a step back even further. You talk about the natural history of it. Is breast cancer something that's been around since the beginning of time? Is there, are, are there yes. examples of that? Uh, yes, breast cancer goes back uh, as far as written um, records exist. And the earliest written record of it is uh, an Egyptian papyrus which was probably 1500 uh, before the Common Era, something like that. Mm. So there's uh, the uh, Egyptian papyrus, the medical papyrus, uh, which describes, I can almost remember the translation, uh, he, and it was always a he, there wasn't a she in ancient Egyptian oh dear, uh, we text. didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, uh, he that gets a swollen... Uh, tumour of the breast and it is cold do not cut and he that gets a tumour on the breast that is hot then you cut 
because if you cut a cold tumour, it gets worse, and if you cut a hot tumour, it gets better. And that was the demarcation, very, very clear demarcation between an abscess, which is a hot lump, right. and draining the pus, and it's cured, and a cancer, which is a cold lump. Isn't that extraordinary yeah. that, that they I mean, knew we're, that we're then. talking three and a half, four thousand years ago. That's extraordinary. It, so. And, and then, of course, the ancient uh, Egyptians, uh, uh, the ancient Greeks knew mm -hmm. a lot about it. And um, Hippocrates described cancer the crab. So the, the, the fat, we call it cancer, is thanks uh, to Hippocrates, going, that's going back to 500 BCE. So cancer comes from the zodiac sign, then, does it, from the stars? Uh, well, uh, cancer is the crab. Yes. So the, the, uh, the ancient Greek physicians described uh, cancer as like a crab because it had tentacles, claws that going out in all directions. Mm. So it's cancer the crab, which is also the zodiac sign. Isn't that interesting? I didn't know that. And I know that because you are an extraordinary artist now you've retrained you know later yeah. later in life as an artist and you've seen signs of breast cancer in paintings haven't you yes i've made um a study of in fact uh, in a couple of weeks time i've been asked to speak at europa donna that's mm. the european movement for breast cancer annual meeting and the name of the title of my talk is uh, the history and mystery of breast cancer seen through the eyes of a surgeon of an artist so of an the artist, history and yeah. mystery of breast cancer as seen through the eyes of the artist and i can trace the whole story of uh, uh, breast cancer by using fine art it's always been there so there's lovely sort of botticelli images of women reclining on chaise long or whatever <laughs> i mean are there examples of them Not, with 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 breast um, cancer botticelli didn't paint a, a breast cancer rembrandt did did he really yes uh, without knowing it and that's the most famous depiction of breast cancer in fine art so how is that depicted um then? It's the paintings in the Louvre, and it's Bathsheba at a toilet, and mm -hmm. it was painted in 1664, and the model was his um, model mistress housekeeper, Henrico Stoffels, mm. and in the upper outer quadrant of the left breast there, mm -hmm. you can see a top. definite dimple, <coughs> really? which is absolute classic sign of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And then you read about her, uh, very well documented, and she died eight years later. Now, uh, and the uh, the way she died was of someone with bone metastases and jaundice. It's all very well described, and um, so he thought he was painting just a dimple breast and didn't just a dimple breast. He was painting the, the early sign of the yeah. death of his beloved model. That is just extraordinary. Now, mm. a lot of this is obviously about women. Are men affected? I mean, do we need to pay tribute to, to guys with breast cancer too? Does, do you see um, any of those? Breast cancer in men happens, and it's mm. rare. Right. The textbooks say one in a hundred. Well, I think that's an overestimate because right. I've been doing this game for nearly 50 years, and mm. I think I've seen three men with breast cancer. Right. Yes, they get it, and... Uh, uh, but the only difference is they get it 10 years later on average. Right. But otherwise, it's much the same. And is it on the increase for women? Because we hear so much in the media <coughs> about it now. Statistically, is it increasing? Uh, it's an artefact, yes. It's uh, gone up by 30% ever since they started screening. Right. And it's an artefact of screening, the increase. 
So we're just picking up more cases. Yes. It, it, there aren't actually any more physical cases well, than, than we would know otherwise. Picking we up, know them. We're going to talk about screening a yes, bit we later will do. on. Mm. But one of the downsides of screening is overdiagnosis. Right. And the apparent increase in incidence is, um, uh, is just because of yes. overdiagnosis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a bias. An ascertain- it's called ascertainment bias. Okay. Great. Well, we will definitely come back to that because there is a whole discussion uh, around screening. When it comes to developing breast cancer, what are the risks, though? What are our main risks as women? The the main risk is age. Is it? So don't get old, basically. Um... (laughs) Well, I think the, the alternative is I know, worse. Exactly. <laughs> so, so when you say age, at what point does it statistically start to hit well, us significantly? The, um, every time you see uh, proponents uh, promoting screening, it's always mm. a nubile young woman in the mammography machine, mm-hmm. which is misleading. Mm-hmm. Uh, breast cancer under the age of 30 is very, very rare. Right. Uh, the highest incidence of breast cancer is in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. But the incidence goes up and up with age. Right. But, of course, women are dying of other things at mm-hmm. the same time. Yes. So... The prevalence gets less, mm-hmm. but the incidence gets more. So the older you are, the greater the risk of getting okay. it. And dietary factors. Well, uh, the, in in order of importance, mm-hmm. uh, bad family histories. Okay. So age, uh, family history, um, and um, beyond that, all the other risk factors are quite small. Um, uh, if I mean, someone says this is associated with a 20% increase at relative risk, that is actually a very small right. increase. It sounds frightening, yeah. but these are very small, like alcohol, and they say it's 20% relative increase. But you then got to translate that into absolute numbers. Mm-hmm. And this is a key thing to understand these statistics, Yes, uh, the difference between relative and absolute risk. And I'll do a very simple sum. Um, every uh, for a woman over the age of fifty, the incidence PO is two per thousand. All right, mm-hmm. two per thousand. So over which ten is very years, small. Yes, it's much less thankfully. than people think. Yes. Um, so that's t- uh, two per hundred over ten years. Right. All right. So a twenty percent increase is twenty percent of two over 10 years. Right, so that's, that's a small number and it's half. so small yes. that we should ignore it. Yeah, yeah. Not frightening women off having drinking. Well, this is this is the thing and, and I, I'm really pleased that you've raised this actually yeah. as, a, as a topic overall because you see so many frightening headlines where, you know, you say, I don't know, eating peanut butter doubles your risk of breast cancer or whatever. I, mean, I just pulled that out of the air. Obviously, it doesn't for anybody eating peanut butter. But it may be that peanut butter, say, cause one in a million breast cancers, say, and then the studies come out to say, oh, no, it's not one in a million, it's two in a million. But that's still double the risk, isn't it? It is. But, but of that, course, the risk that is, that is tiny. Two, two so... times the risk. And the other thing <laughs> is, it's an associated right. risk. It's not necessarily causal no. because the type of woman, women who eat a lot of peanut butter, <laughs> may have other problems. Right. Yeah, so, so you're not saying it's causing it. No, it's no, it's the intake of, of peanut mm. butter. Yeah, suggests to me that this woman needs healthcare in other ways, in other, other ways, like the head. <laughs> yes, I, you know, now that I understand, and I didn't fully understand before, but it is such a simple thing to understand the headlines when something says double 
double the risk or three times the risk. Yeah. It's, it's kind of irrelevant because you say, well, what was the risk to start with? Yes. And that's what so they don't tell you. So these are relative risks mm. versus absolute numbers. Mm -hmm. And it's critical. I get so angry. Yes. Every, I don't know, every, sure. every month there's another headline. Well, tell me about oh. it. I mean, we are battling the media having written about all of this. And it's always bad news. This, no, isn't no. it? Well, good news doesn't sell a newspaper. No, so I'm Boy, told, yes. Doesn't sell, you know, yeah. online advertising on a website. Mm. So let's talk about the different types of breast cancer because I have to say mm. I'm very fortunate I don't have history in my family. I do have girlfriends who are affected by it actually right now at the moment but I'm not very clear on the different types and what the different diagnoses mean for people. Um, the I'm trying to keep this simple. Thank it, you. Because, <laughs> Thank it, you. no, it gets very, very technical. Yes. And the technicalities actually aren't, aren't important mm -hmm. because in... Um, there are two types of cancer uh, to begin with. Dark carcinoma in situ, in situ mean in place, mm -hmm. which is not invasive cancer, and invasive cancer, that cancer which invades. Now, every uh, putting dark carcinoma in situ on one side, and I'll get to that when we come to talk about screening, mm -hmm. it, we start with invasive cancer, and then you can look at it under the microscope, and we have many ways of, pro pro of prognosticating, um, many ways, uh, the, uh, and they, they are graded, grade one, two, three. Three is aggressive looking, one is slow growing. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are all sorts of more and more bi biological uh, uh, molecular studies where you can predict the prognosis. So, in, in fact, there, um, all, one could almost say every single breast cancer is, is unique. Right. Uh, unique in itself and in the host, the, the patient, the woman being the host. So, you, you've got uh, almost an infinite number of, of, of variables. Uh, that you would have. Uh, of variables. Mm -hmm. But presumably, it's the invasive cancers that are the, deadly, the, the deadliest yes. kind, are they? Uh, the invasive cancer, the in situ cancers don't kill. Do they not? No. And the problem with the in-situ cancers, they're overdiagnosed, mm. overtreated. Well, well, the minute you say somebody you've got cancer, I mean, forget yes. it. You're going to panic mode, don't that's you? It, exactly. That is such an important issue that specialists now, like me, are mm. trying to change the nomenclature. Right. So you don't call it cancer. You we say it's a, a non-invasive lump or something. Um, we're trying to agree on some mm. formula of words that doesn't include cancer. Interesting. Because um, the uh, ten-year survival of removing dark carcinoma in situ is 99%, so, so mm. well, why is it a cancer yeah. then? It yeah. isn't a cancer. Right, so it's not one of these spreading, and that's when you get sort of secondary cancers, is that right? So does, it, does, does breast cancer often start as a primary? And it then always spread? starts. Well, we, is it always? We shouldn't. It always starts as a is primary, it? yes. Mm -hmm. It's a primary. And um, and then it can metastasize, spread mm -hmm. anywhere in the body. And is it because it's close to the lymph nodes that it makes it faster to spread? No, no. that's okay. again uh, the old-fashioned idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, the the great revolution in our uh, in the treatment of breast cancer was probably in the nineteen seventies when we realised that breast cancer wasn't spreading along the it spreads along lymphatics, but that isn't what metastasizes. It's spreading in the blood vessels, so it's invasion of the uh, venous drainage of a breast cancer that leads to metastases, right. and that can happen at any stage. And we we think 
the, late, the latest thinking of this, it happens in most cases very early on, and the um, cancer cells that spread find a niche somewhere in the body and just sit there. Right. And what turns them on to progress is uncertain. Mm -hmm. But I, I have uh, a very good friend, mm. close friend, who um, was treated for breast cancer 25 years ago, and the second years have just appeared. Gosh, after 25 years. After 25... Well, what's mm. going on there? Yeah, You can't say happened? they're growing slowly for 25 years. Mm. So if to even think in linear terms like this is obsolete. Right. You've got to get it out of your head. The natural history of breast cancer isn't linear progression. Mm -hmm. And a better analogy is weather forecasting. Uh, well, one day it's sunny, one day it's rainy, and you just don't know. And Yeah, we're, we're getting very good at weather forecasting. Right. Yes. And that's because we use a, a, a non-linear model. We talk about linear models uh, and non-linear models. And mm -hmm. non-linear models are chaos theory. Right. Uh, everybody thinks yes. they know about chaos theory, but it's not linear. Um, but we can use a, a new type of mathematics, chaos theory mathematics, as the weather forecasters do. And you can use that in breast cancer. Well, we should be doing it. Mm. I've worked with mathematicians and come up with some formulae that may help us. Um, but... You've got to have the will to pursue that. Mm -hmm. and there's so much investment in the idea that there's a linear progression when, they, when yes. it's not. It's chaotic. You know, if you see a, a, a small cloud in the sky, that doesn't mean it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and become a black cloud and there'll be a, a downpour. No, no, it might get blown away by it, a gust of wind and disappear and then go. the sky is then blue. <laughs> so there, mm. And the sky goes blue. Mm. Uh, so one trajectory for that small mm -hmm. cloud is a thunderstorm and the other mm. is to go away that's chaos theory right. and that i think explains breast cancer mm. so um but we still haven't perfected the the mathematics of this you should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewelry whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, you have been involved in so much pioneering research and practical work on breast cancer mm. because I think when you first started, you alluded at the beginning to when it was radical mastectomy, yeah. the entire breast comes off, end of story. Were you one of the first to introduce the idea of lumpectomy and, and minimal invasive surgery? Right. Um, I, I don't want to claim too much for myself. Mm. Uh, the temptation is there because <laughs> you're not old enough to know <laughs> to what know happened. The, to know but I, I'm a kind of a historic <laughs> figure, so uh, I, I do know exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, the um, certainly when I qualified and when I was training as a surgeon, there were no questions. It was obvious. Um, Radical mastectomy. It isn't just removing all the breasts, it's removing the muscles and all the lymph nodes. Mm. A really major operation. That was the answer. And if it came back, well, the, it's the patient's fault. You should have come earlier. Right. So you dismiss it. And I was taught to do that operation. I was able to do it without losing much blood. And mm. uh, but it was a horrid thing. Yeah, I hated sure. doing I'm it. Sure. And then I started reading the writings of. Uh, uh, Dr. Bernard Fisher in Pittsburgh, and he was the revolutionary, mm -hmm. and he he made stuff change. So I went to work with Bernie Fisher in Pittsburgh, and I um, in nineteen seventy seventy one. Um, he was coming up with the biological model that refuted the Halsteadian approach. And uh, he was the one that showed the cancer cells spread very early along the, the veins. And removing the breast was closing the stable door after right. the horse had bolted. It's not going to make much difference then. Yes. So mm -hmm. he thought in that case, the only way, uh, th there's no point in doing mutilating surgeries. Mm -hmm. So we could try uh, breast conserving surgery with followed by radiotherapy. And that could produce the local control, which is very important. To take the lump away. Yeah, yeah. and followed by radiotherapy. The yeah. And um, the only way to um, cure more patients was systemic therapy, drug therapy, right. to mop up the cancer cells that have escaped. That have escaped, yeah. got you. So I became his disciple, and uh, he started um, well, the... One of the, t there were two first, they were just competing who was first, Veronese in Milan or Fisher in Pittsburgh. Mm. Uh, but almost synchronously, they started doing the trial, breast conserving surgery versus radical mastectomy. Mm -hmm. I went back to London and set up our study, uh, 
breast cancer and surgery versus mastectomy. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, um, the Milan group and the Pittsburgh group were testing out chemotherapy, adjuvant chemotherapy. I decided to use uh, tamoxifen. Right. So uh, I, so my was... group did uh, the tamoxifen, that's the drug treatment as well as surgery. We right. did the tamoxifen approach and mm -hmm. uh, uh, Veronese and Fisher did the chemotherapy approach. And who came out top? Uh, we all came out top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it a tie? Was it, was it working no, for everybody? No, the, um, the adjuvant chemotherapy worked, adjuvant mm -hmm. tamoxifen worked. Right. combination works and then okay. you get to the point of se selecting better ways of selecting patients so right. um, it's all been fine-tuning yes. well we're hearing that now aren't they yes. that chemotherapy will only work for certain people yes. how do you then do genetic screening to say is that going to work yes. for you so we're starting to refine it select mm. our patients better yeah for these different so why treatments. did you choose tamoxifen because that was quite a new drug wasn't it right then? uh two reasons a, to do something different. Right. <laughs> Be radical. B, because I think it was kinder. Right. And this brings me back to my mother, mm, who suffered mm. terribly from chemotherapy. Yeah. So before doing the trial, uh, the adjuvant trial, when I was in Cardiff, we did a trial with advanced breast cancer comparing chemotherapy with tamoxifen mm. and saw there wasn't much difference. But the, but the quality of life was better on was better. Yeah. How do they work? I know that chemotherapy is destroying your immune system. Yeah, well, that's essentially. not... It's is not meant... No? no, it's... Um, ke chemotherapy... The simplest way of looking at chemotherapy, mm. uh, the more rapidly the cell uh, grows and reproduces, uh, the more likely it responds to chemotherapy. So there's quite a narrow margin... And if you've got uh, rapidly uh, growing cancers, rapidly dividing cells, mm -hmm. chemotherapy is more effective than slowly dividing I cells. See. So that's yeah. just um, catching the cell when it's vulnerable at the point of... of the, but you have to blast the whole body, do but you? you have to, to, to blast to the, yes, all it's, the cells. It's all over, yeah. Mm. Um, and tamoxifen... Now we're not sure how it works. Really? <laughs> but originally we thought, ah, oh, it's an anti estrogen So that's that's why it works, because it's an anti estrogen And of course now it's not, I know, we know it's not an anti estrogen and we're not sure how it works. That's fascinating. <laughs> so who first was looking at it? Because tax, uh, it comes from Taxol, doesn't it? it comes no, from you. Tamoxifen. Is, tamoxifen. No, it's nothing no, to do with Taxol. Nothing no. to do with Taxol. No, um, it was um, in, invented, uh, uh, developed at ICR, Mm -hmm. in the late 1960s mm -hmm. and they were trying to produce a, um, a, a contraceptive so they were testing this quote contraceptive on mice with cancer right and to their uh, uh, amazement found it, it it wasn't a very good contraceptive it was actually mm. a fertility drug oh really <laughs> so how it then came into the treatment of breast cancer, yeah. it's difficult to know. Um, Does it have any connection with you then? Does it have? A, is it anything to do with Taxol? Nothing to do with nothing Taxol. To do no, with Taxol. nothing to do. No, it's okay. it's um, it's a synthesized. Right. It's a um, it's a complex molecule yeah. which has been synthesized. Not, mm. It's not a natural. Problem. And what happens? Where does Taxol come into it then? And, and you, it doesn't. 
Okay, fine. <laughs> Taxol is another cytotoxic drug which happens to come from the uterine, which is seldom used in breast cancer. Is it not used in breast cancer? Well, seldom. Ah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So going back to the oestrogen point of tamoxifen, in, originally it was given as being anti-oestrogenic. Yes. That was the theory. Yes. With the theory being that breast cancer grows in oestrogen. Is that yes, right? Yes, In an oestrogen-rich right. environment. Yes, that's right. And that's... Uh, uh, a very simple solution to a complex problem. Okay, so, uh, in other words, that's not the case. No, and we know it's not <laughs> the case because one of the side effects of uh, tamoxifen is endometrial cancer. And you have to look out for it. It's rare, but it's a side effect. Now, why? Well, it's because it's estrogenic. Right. So tamoxifen... So it's producing oestrogen. It is in itself oestrogenic. The mm. endometrium recognises tamoxifen as an oestrogen. So calling tamoxifen an anti-oestrogen is wrong. This is all very, very fascinating. And I know that you've written um, a little bit uh, as an endorsement of Professor Blooming's book, Oestrogen yes. Matters. And yes. that's, that was a really revelatory read, and I think that's recently published in this country. And that's... Yes, and perhaps we'll come back to that. Absolutely, we'll definitely, we will. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, it is not easy. No, you can Estrogen, really see that. To say oestrogen <laughs> causes breast cancer, therefore getting rid of the oestrogen will kill breast cancer. It's simply wrong. It's simply People wrong. want simple answers. There's no simple there is, answers. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I can really see this. And then, yeah. so, what about radiotherapy? Where does that all fit in with cancer well, treatment? Breast cancer treatment? Um, radiotherapy uh, is a very effective treatment uh, if used correctly mm -hmm. and we're very privileged in this country have brilliant excellent radiotherapists and mm -hmm. equipment and uh, the convention is after removing the lump yes uh, then you irradiate the whole breast um, because uh, we know from a pathological study of the whole breast that even though you've got one uh, cancer there there are other foci all over the breast uh, little foci and so you have to blast those with radiotherapy in case they progress yeah except that's not true <laughs> what <laughs> okay so how does it really work then well um the, the i've been working uh for 20 years with a, a young uh well it's not so young now but he was a very young indian uh, phd student of mine uh jayant vidya who's now professor vidya at ucl and um, he pointed out that local recurrence after treating breast cancer is always at the index quadrant where the original cancer was and not in all these other places. Aye, so where you first pick it up is where it's going to reoccur. Where it recurs. Mm -hmm. Now, um, it's a lovely story and a long story, but just to make it very, very short, we developed a technique for giving radiotherapy at the time of surgery just to the tumour bed and nowhere else. Mm. And we did a trial, we started it 20 years ago, 3,500 women in this study, uh, half had conventional external beam radiotherapy and the other half had intraoperative radiotherapy, mm. one shot at the time of surgery, in surgery and gosh. the outcomes are identical. So we're trying very hard to yeah. promote this technique. Yes. Uh, and it's uh, available pretty much all over the world now, except for this country. Good heavens. Because the Royal College of Radiologists hate it. Why? Because <coughs> everyone's going to be unemployed and not have enough patients no, to treat? No. Or 
because a couple of surgeons invented the technique. Right, oh dear. <laughs> oh. In fairness, yes. Professor Tobias was also part of the unholy yeah, trinity, yeah. and so he uh, he was also he had a radius. Yeah, this is really fascinating, and <clears throat> you know, not you know, not going into specifics there, but what I've learned through having you know the enormous privilege of, of speaking and meeting so many <clears throat> medics in so many fields of medicine is the extraordinary rivalry and politics that go on and and the bias of people who publish a paper and then it's not peer-reviewed or it, if the study mm. doesn't work out in the way that they <clears throat> wanted, it gets buried and it gets submitted you know, to the BMJ or the Lancet and then the editor decides whether to print it or not to print it. You know, mm. I mean, it, it's it's not a level playing field, is it, when it comes to research and, and Well, review. the best analogy I can, for the what goes on in the scientific communities, it's a bit like Brexit and the... Oh, don't! <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, no. the jealousies and the infighting is, yes. that has to be seem to be believed. <laughs> but you kind of hope and would assume that everybody's working to the common good. Of but course, the... just like we hope every politician oh, is okay, working for enough. their constituency. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the good news in all of this is that advances <clears throat> in treatment of whatever kind, we have seen a 50% reduction in deaths yeah, from breast now, cancer overall. Joking aside, mm. what happens in this is we're talking about scientific discourse if uh, one professor says it is thus and the other professor says no, it's not, mm -hmm. then that is a dialectic and it's a healthy because out of this uncertainty, out of these debates, we make progress. Mm -hmm. And we make progress by falsifying ideas rather than uh, um, uh, constantly repeating our errors. Right. So good comes out of this dialectic and the, these uh, fights. Good comes out of it. And yes, um, over uh, mortality for breast cancer peaked in 1985 in this country and the mortality has fallen by 50% since 1985. Mm. And what do you attribute that to mostly? Treatment. Using the well, mixture of chemo, whatever. radiotherapy, yeah, tamoxifen. Yeah. Treatment. Yeah. 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 Nothing to do with screening. Right. Well, we will definitely <laughs> be, be talking about that. And I guess with the review of treatment, we can make better choices now based on mistakes in the past. Yes. We talk a lot about clinical trials, randomised controlled trials. But these aren't guinea pigs, experimental animals. These are women. Yes. So... Why should women volunteer to go into an experiment? Mm. And the only way I can argue that is to say, well, other women did that in the past. You are, have the benefit of the progress that was made in the past by other women. Mm -hmm. So you, you, um, I think there is an ethical imperative when invited for patients to join clinical trials yes. when offered. Yes. The care of women in clinical trials happens to be better as a general rule, so mm -hmm. it's in their enlightened and self-interest. Mm. Um, but it is an ethical dilemma, yes. I'm not denying that. But yeah. as a result of these clinical trials, stepwise, we've made uh, mm. remarkable progress. What about the advent of things like immunotherapy? That's exciting. I'm not fully sure where it's going. Mm. Uh, it is exciting, but I think it's been hyped 
at the right. moment. Yeah. And I would urge caution. Mm. That's all. Mm. I don't want to be negative, um, no. No, but I just urge caution. Mm. Talking of, of hype, I'd be very interested to get your take on some of the, the, the myths that have kind of just become mainstream in the media. I, I obviously have a big background in, in beauty and the skincare industry. And the, the, you now it's hard to pick up a product that says it contains parabens, for example. Mm -hmm. And there was a huge uh, Ferrari um, linked to one study, which, as I understand, has never been replicated by a PhD researcher in Reading, which was shown to be just so poorly interpreted. And yet it led to the whole of the beauty industry taking out parabens from products, particularly underarm deodorants and breast cancer. Oh, you must gosh. have been working during all of that oh, time. What, what's, what's your take on that? Um, <laughs> that was this week's scare story. Every week there's another yeah, scare story. Uh, something is associated But it's with... taken huge hold. People will still say Can now, you... I'm, I'm not using underwired, deodorant or I'm not using underwired parabens. Bras. Right? Do you remember underwired bras? Yeah, no? causing breast cancer. Causing breast and cancer. What, what's, what's the truth? Um, um, uh, dying hair dyes. Yes. That was the, yeah. that was recent, and it drives me potty. Now the reason why this is so common, you can we're talking about an association, not a cause, right? And um, and we're talking about relative risk. So pretty much everything you look at. Um, if you don't have an a priori hypothesis, you say, mm. "Well, we're just going to do it." There's I. I can, there's no particular reason why parabens should cause breast cancer, but let's no. do it. Mm. And you do it, and yes, uh, like peanut butter, you yeah. suggestive cause cancer. Yeah. I, I'm sure that uh, if there is an association one way or another between peanut butter and breast cancer, it's either protective or harmful. Yes, you could, if, 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 if you if you asked 5,000 women, do you eat peanut butter? And, yes. And then well, the uh, analysed who, who had breast cancer. But there's no a priori hypothesis why peanut butter should cause no. or prevent breast cancer. Well, of course, cancer. with parabens, the, the, the issue was that it was allegedly an endocrine disruptor that was applied near to the site of the breast tumour um, but of course as it was later found out the parabens actually came from the glassware used in the laboratory yeah. not in the in the tumours but, but that's but the, never been but the principle discussed. is still the, the same yes absolutely <clears throat> pretty much anything it's not that you look at yeah uh, will uh, with large enough numbers, they may be an association one way or the other. It will never be completely neutral. No. To make it absolutely neutral statistically is impossible. Yeah. So you can guarantee it will either be protective or associated with breast cancer or whatever. Mm. Mm. Anything, I guarantee that. Now, if it turns out to be protective... It won't get into the news. No, because that's a good news it's story, good news. so we'll never hear so, about that. So your experience with Paraman is exactly the problem yeah. that we yeah. face all the time. Yeah. Drives you nuts. Okay, in a nutshell, no. underwear bras, dangerous or not? No. <laughs> very... well, it depends in which way. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. Yes, it might it's ping off, you know, mm. poke you in the eye or something. But in terms of breast cancer, no. Yeah. Deodorants, no. Deodorants, hair dye, no. Hair no. Dye, no. Um, in flight entertainment, no. Uh, okay, I've... yeah, Wi Fi, you know, devices, no. anything yeah. else that's been linked. <clears throat> but what are the risks? And, you know, joking aside, we've talked about genetics. Yes. Is that really, you know, you just the, a question you've got to choose your parents very carefully? Uh, yes. The At the moment, uh, we have the BRCA mutations, BRCA1, BRCA2. Right. Very uh, powerful genes. Mm -hmm. If you happen to inherit these 
uh, this gene, there's an 80% chance you're going to get breast cancer, mm. eh? and you're going to get it young, and it's going to be of the aggressive type. So do you agree with the mastectomy in that case? Though? Reluctantly. Reluctant. To yeah. me, it's yeah. intermediate technology. It's a mm -hmm. step along the way. Mm. Uh, I don't think there's any evidence that screening will do anything. Mm. Uh, the, there's no evidence that uh, screening will prevent death from breast cancer with a BRCA mutation, but there's good evidence that uh, bilateral mastectomy really? uh, will will protect. And, and you know, Angelina Jolie, who yes. is lovely. Yes. <laughs> we all, yes. all men love her, totally. but she's brilliant. What yeah. a courageous yeah. woman. And she she is kind of the poster girl for, yep. for that. But we must do better than that. Yes. And there has to be, sooner or later, I'm sure we'll have the uh, molecular correction for that abnormality. Mm. But for the time being, that's the best on So genetic screening really then still has to be the best way ahead for us um, at the, at the moment, but only there are most of the the BRCA mutation, but there are other rarer uh, mutations mm. as mm. well. Yeah, fascinating. Well, on that note, it <clears throat> is time to draw a close to this extraordinary podcast. I have learnt so much in a very short <clears throat> space of time. Uh, sincere thanks, oh, Professor Mike, for being with us today. <laughs> It has, I'm sure you'll agree, been an especially informative and gripping episode and one which we should share widely with our family and friends, especially anyone who has been or who is touched by this terrifying disease. So do please pass on the link on my website to connect others to this. Don't forget, you will find the notes and links to the resources we've been talking about here over on lizellwellbeing.com. You can also sign up there for our free weekly wellbeing newsletter packed with news, views, exclusive recipes and the like. This is something that we send out for free of charge each and every Friday. And if you've enjoyed this episode, do hit the subscribe button on your podcast app to ensure that the next ones download automatically without you even having to remember. And you truly won't want to miss the next one as Professor Baum continues to be on my sofa here, continuing our journey into other aspects of breast care and midlife women's health in general, including specifically the role of HRT, which I know many of us will be especially interested to hear a lot more about. So until then, go well. Bye-bye. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.